0: Amen. You can be seated. At this time, I want to dismiss our sound off kids. That's our middle school ministry, fifth grade and up. If you're new with us, uh, you're welcome as a parent to walk your kid over there with our teachers, Stacia, Evan, amazing leaders, waving their hand right there. If you are new with us and you have a kid, Fifth grade and up, feel free to walk them over for the first time and let them learn about Jesus in their class. But uh, as we get started, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met you, would love to do so. If you are new with us, I'm uh, really glad you've joined us this morning. Uh, if you are new with us, you you may need to be uh, informed on some details of what's going on uh, with our church, specifically what's 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 going on with this space that we're in right now. This school is called ASU Preparatory Academy. Uh, it's a charter school, K-12 through in Phoenix, uh, but it's owned by a school district. Phoenix Elementary School District owns this property, and we're a fairly new church, three and a half years old. The majority of our life as a church has been in this facility, right, So we've worshiped God in here. We've baptized people in here. We've prayed together in here. We've made friends and community in this space. Our kids have learned about Jesus, met Jesus in this space. Some of you uh, met one another and got married, not in this space, but this is where it all started, right? So it's a, it's a special space, uh, but it is just a, a space, but God can use spaces to change lives for eternity, and he's used this one, and uh, if you weren't here last week or haven't been in the loop, uh, Friday a week ago, uh, we got a notification from this school that they would no longer be able to rent this space to us that Phoenix Elementary School District does own the property. And they came to them and said, hey, we want priority over this property and this auditorium. It's a nice auditorium for their district. And we don't want you guys renting it out to other people, specifically like a weekly renter like us. So that was a week ago Friday. Got that call, email about 3 o'clock on that Friday afternoon and decided talking to some leaders, praying through that. uh, We would scrap the sermon. We're in a series on the book of Colossians. Last Sunday, we decided to scrap that and uh, just call us to remember and to pray. And so we remembered how this church has gotten started, really through a lot of obstacles, kind of like this one, right? That that's how God has built this church and all those baptisms and all those community and all the special things that have happened have often happened uh, through obstacles. And so we just took some time last Sunday to remember all that God has done because we easily forget. We easily get distracted. And so we remembered that, and then we said, hey, instead of scrambling or solving this week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And so I got you to get out your phones. We spent some time praying in service. We got out our phones and set our alarms for 12 noon every day this week to pray for our church. And a lot of you guys did that, and you shared stories of how you were doing that. Our community groups that met in homes during the week, we did that collectively. We prayed together, and and it was a sweet time that we didn't want to miss where we get God in a special way. And we get each other. And that honestly, we wouldn't get that if this hadn't happened. We probably wouldn't have set our alarms to pray every single day this week if this obstacle hadn't shown up. We probably should. Amen? Probably should do that anyway. Uh, But we probably don't, right? Some of you do because you're more spiritual than us. But some of us, we don't. And we don't pray for our church for sure at 12 noon every day. But we did this week, and God's been moving in incredible ways. We already had a prayer night scheduled for Friday nights just a few nights ago uh, for a long-term solution for space right downtown, 1 North 1st Street that we've prayed through, worked through a long time. And, and it's not final yet, but we wanted to lift that before the Lord. And uh, we already had that scheduled. And so God decided to add another agenda item to the prayer list. Uh, so we needed to pray for a short-term solution for space beginning Sunday, June 3rd. I don't know if I mentioned that. Sunday, May 27th, will be our last Sunday. If you don't know, short timeline, right? Um, Sunday, June 3rd, we need a a place to meet, a place to gather, uh, and long-term as well. And so what is it going to look like short-term, long-term? And we just submitted that to God. And so can I just tell you, uh, thank you for those of you who prayed. Thank you for those of you who came on Friday night and prayed. Um, There are other people praying with us. There are multiple church staffs in this city and in other cities praying that prayed with us at noon every day that have been praying with us all week as well. So you need to know there's a lot of people in our corner, a lot of people lifting this up before the Lord. And that's important. I think it's easy to just say God's got this. I think it's maybe even easier for us as a church because of what we've seen happen that, well, God's got this. He's going to provide. I mean, this is what he does. This is how we roll. But God shows his power. God makes provision through his people. And so for those of you who prayed, thank you. For those of you who didn't pray, start praying. Uh, This isn't going to magically just appear. God's going to do it in and through his people. He's going to do it through you as we come together, as we pray, as we now begin to plan and take action. It's all going to happen through his people. That's how he set this thing up, equipping the saints. You are the saints. You are the church. And so I would invite you the week of prayer, it's not just a week, right? This is a daily thing over the next several weeks that we're going to lift up before the Lord. I invite you to do that as we, as we move forward. It's an important moment for our church. We believe is, God is going to move. I believe he's on the move already, but we need to pray. And we need to step in to this situation, this moment. And uh, that's a little bit of what I shared on Friday night if you weren't there. Uh, I talked about that this is an opportunity for us not just to learn about faith, but to live out our faith. And we we talked a little bit about Mark chapter 4 in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching people about faith. He talks about a mustard seed. He talks about the kingdom of God, and he's sort of lecturing about that, and they're learning it. But then they get the opportunity to go live out their faith. Jesus says, hey, come get in this boat. Let's go across to the other side. They get in the boat, and a huge storm hits, and water starts to fill the boat. And as they've been learning about faith and looking at faith intellectually, they now have the opportunity to live out their faith. And as the water starts to fill the boat, as storms are crashing in, they go to Jesus, who's asleep, because that's how Jesus rolls. In the midst of a storm, Jesus is asleep. Like, just calm down. The disciples go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you even care? We're going to drown here. Do you not care about that? And Jesus says, have you no faith? You see, they learned about faith. But then they have had the opportunity to live out their faith. That's the moment before us. As a church, as individuals, is not just to talk about these things that we read in the Bible, but to actually live it out. And that's exciting because we get the opportunity to be molded and grown in our faith, not just in an ethereal way, but in a literal way. And so that's the opportunity before us, and that just so happens to be our passage this morning. We are in the the book of Colossians, a series in the book of Colossians. And the passage we come to today, the one we just read, Colossians 2, 6 through 15, is about maturity amidst adversity. In God's providence, he's still molding us. He's teaching us collectively and us as individuals in our lives that when unexpected trials come, obstacles come, because they will... That we get the opportunity to live into that, to lean into that, and mature in Christ through all of that. And that's what we're going to see today. Aren't you glad that God is sovereign? Aren't you glad that God makes providence and points us to verses like this? As I studied this this week, I just thought, thank you, God, that that you're in charge and I'm not. Um, This is exactly what we need to hear. So Colossians 2, let's hear it. Let's see it. Grab a Bible if you don't have one. There should be one on an armrest near you. Uh, grab your phone. You can go to Biblegateway.com. You can download an app. Uh, we want you to see scripture with your own eyes. That's where the power is, is in God's word, not my word. And so grab a Bible and look along with us. We're gonna start in verse 6. It says this: Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Um, just to catch you up, if you haven't been with us, Colossians is 95 verses. And 15 verses mentioned specifically in Christ or in him or in God. And you see that theme throughout the book of Colossians. That's 15 times throughout the whole book. Seven times we see that just in this passage. So this idea of being in Christ is packed into these few verses that we're going to look at. And so we're going to walk through some of those. And the first thing that we see is, as we've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. As you received him, so now walk in him. And when we see that therefore, it causes us to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, let's look back at the previous verse. In verse 5, the last thing we see is Paul affirming the faith of the Colossians. Faith. Taking God at his word. Believing the promises of God. That we receive Jesus Christ by faith. Not by works. By faith in the work, the finished work of Christ. And so Paul is saying, Therefore, as you received it that way, now walk in it. You're saved by faith, but you're also sanctified by faith. Don't leave out the basics. And so hopefully you hear this if you've been coming here for any length of time at Phoenix Bible Church. We always go back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That by grace, through faith, he saves us and that also empowers us to be sanctified in him. And so Paul is is saying that here you've received it this way, continue to walk in that same faith. And that if you will not walk in this faith, you will not walk at all. You see, the implication here is that this is the only option to continue walking. You shouldn't be picturing a Scantron with multiple choice. It's not like walk by faith, or walk by your works, or walk by your religious practices, or walk by your good ideas. There's one option that works, that walks, and then there's the other option that craters, that collapses, that falls. We will either walk by faith, or we won't walk at all. And so as we see maturity amidst diversity, we have to walk by faith, go back to our faith, never leave our faith in Jesus. The second thing we see is we are rooted and built up in Jesus. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. It says, rooted and built up in him established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we should walk in Jesus. We are rooted, established, built in Jesus. Here's what that looks like. The way we are rooted, and we can go to some other passages for this, is is two things. Psalm 1, we see this. That blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. For they are like what? A tree planted by streams of water. They're rooted. How? Because they delight in the law of the Lord. They're rooted. We see in Matthew chapter 7, the end of Jesus' brilliant extensive teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's gone through all these teachings and all these ideas. And at the very end, he says, if you listen to these words... If you do them, you are like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. You have a solid foundation. And when the storms come, the adversity hits, because it will, you will be immovable because you do what I say. And so Psalm 1, Matthew 7 tell us the way to be rooted is to delight in the law of the Lord and then to do what it says. Delight and do so, we can be rooted, built up, established in Christ. This is our foundation. This is how we survive adversity. You see this in all ways of life. You see this in building a home, in building a, a, a building, that the longest work goes into what? The foundation. There's multiple steps. It seems like the foundation takes forever, and then they start building things, and it goes really fast. Right, The drywall, that that hangs fast. Everything else goes up fast, but not the foundation. It takes time because getting the right foundation is key to everything else. It's essential. I see this not just in buildings, but I see this in my five-year-old son who's playing t-ball right now. Um, The hardest thing, there's lots of hard things, all right? Five-year-old's playing t-ball. It's like herding cats, uh, for my son specifically, he always wears his hat to the side or backwards. And I didn't teach him how to do that, right? He just goes out there, and he, I'm like, dude, what are you doing with your hat? Put it on right. And he's just standing out there, the outfield, like just to the side, just hanging out. And so I'll go, and I'll switch the hat on, on right for him, right? But that's not the only obstacle with my son playing t-ball. The, the biggest obstacle for him and everybody else is when they get up to bat. And maybe if you have some kids who play t-ball or have seen this, this is always the case. They get up to bat. My son does this just like everybody else. He gets up, and he starts standing like this with his feet together, right? And so the coach or I'll come alongside and tell him, hey, hey, bud, you need to spread your feet apart. And so what does he do? He's standing like this. He does this. (laughs) You're like, no, no, no. That's not it, right? And you're like, they'll just scooch him in a little bit and you start, you're doing it like you look all weird as the parent out there. You're trying to show them how to do it, right? And before long, what I have to do is I have to get down with him and I have to grab his leg and I have to place it where I want it to be. And I have to take the other one and I have to place it where I want to be until he's shoulder width apart and has a good foundation so then he can crush it, right? <laughs> That's what you have to do. The hardest thing for kids and T-Ball is getting their foundation right, right? The hardest thing for us in life, the most essential thing for us in life is getting that foundation right, right? Why? Because adversity is going to come. Because the storms are going to come. Because the obstacles are going to come. And will you stand firm? Will you hold fast, as 2 Thessalonians says? Or will you slip off to the side? Will anything that comes along, just the simplest obstacles, the simplest doubt, cause you to leave your faith, or will you stay grounded in your faith? The foundation is essential. And so Paul emphasized that as he talks about maturity in Christ. Now, in this specific context, it's essential and important because these Colossians believers are experiencing adversity adversity in the form of false teaching. In the form of philosophy, we see it in the text, look at it with me. Empty deceit, according to human tradition. Elemental spirits, that's the demonic, that's Satan, his servant's works and effects. There's philosophy, a way of thinking about life. There's empty deceit, things that seem right, helpful, pleasureful, but are not. According to human tradition, but also according to a spiritual realm, there's things that are attacking their beliefs. Colossians, the believers there, were a part of a church that's about the same age as ours, three to four years old. Newer believers, they don't have the 66 books of the Bible to rely upon. And so Paul is writing them this letter to say, hey, hey, stand firm, be rooted, be built up. I know there's this philosophy, this empty deceit. I know there's spiritual warfare. I know there's human warfare. But you stand firm. You get this foundation right. So it's so essential for them. It's so essential for us. And as I just look at those words, philosophy, empty deceit, you begin to realize quickly that these attacks, this adversity is not going to be direct. It's going to be deceitful. It's the idea that it will seem good, seem right, seem helpful, but it's actually not. And so, so for us today, the reality is for, for most of you, as you experience adversity, it's not going to be, "Hey, man, come, Come and destroy your life. Hey, 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 come and destroy your family's life. Hey, why don't you take this sex? and and misuse it and and destroy your life why don't you take this substance and get addicted and destroy your life why don't you take these material possessions and and don't make them just something to steward for the glory of God no you make them the idol of your life the goal of your life hey come take your kids make them your success Hey, hey come take your vocation make that what defines you and you'll ruin your life is that how it comes at us No, that'd be a little bit easier, right? Because we'd all just say, no, (laughs) no thanks. I'm going to follow Jesus, right? Paul says that's not the way it comes at you. It's deceitful. And so it's, hey, come. This is going to be great. Hey, this sex, man, it is going to fulfill you in ways that you've never been fulfilled before. Hey, this substance, Man, it's going to help you escape from your job, from your worries, from your stress. It's going to provide that for you. Hey, hey, this commercial on TV of all these material possessions and that lease you could get for that Jaguar, that home you could purchase that you can't afford. Hey, man, that, that's where your success is going to come. That's where identity, that's where fulfillment's going to come. That billboard as you're driving down the road, that, that professor that's calling you to some philo- philosophical belief and causing you to question your faith, that it all seems right, it all seems helpful, it all seems like it's going to fulfill us. And Paul is saying it's deceitful. And you need to stand firm, you need to be rooted so that you will, you will know, so that you will be immovable, so that you can mature, In the midst of adversity, he says, Don't be taken captive by this. Because that's how it happens, isn't it? That these kinds of things, because of the deceit mixed in around them, they hold us in a prison, right? I mean, some of you are there today. Like, Tim, as you just describe all that, like, I know, I know that addiction. I know that sex. I know that substance. I know that thought. I know that doubt. I know it's not good. I mean, as we describe it, I'm reminded that that's not good for me. That's not helpful for me. Like, I, I know that in my head, but, man, I feel kind of stuck right now. Man, I just feel captive by this. I can't get out of it. When I think I've been f- set free from it, man, I just go right back to that prison That's cycles of my life, right? And and so Paul uses that language specifically, and he also uses that language specifically somewhere else, 2 Corinthians 10.5. As we get taken captive by this deceit, Paul, same author, 2 Corinthians 10.5, says this, you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so Paul says there's some things out there that are going to, imprison you and so here's what you need to do instead of them imprisoning you you submit it all to christ and and you take every thought captive same word do you see it same word but it make it obedient to christ not to your impulse not to your fleshly desires not to the to the spiritual warfare that that attacks you. you 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 take that thought you take that sex that addiction whatever that is that professor that boss and you submit it to Christ, and so all of those things you you hold them up to this. So so that thought, that idea, man, that's going to fulfill me. Is that what this says? We'll take it, take take it captive, make it obedient to Christ. That that thought that if my work it fulfills me, like, was it? is that what this? Is that what this says? That thought, if I go outside of marriage for fulfillment in my sexuality, is that? Is that what this says? You take every thought captive, so it doesn't take you captive, and you submit it to Christ. And so listen, some of your professors, you guys are about to graduate, some of you, right? Amen. It's exciting. Some of your professors, some of your friends will tell you things, and you need to, for the rest of your life, not just while in college, you need to always measure it against God's word. Take it captive. Don't let it take you captive. As you go into the workforce, and many of us, and many of us have kids and our families, all these ideas of what success is for you and your family, you always measure it against God's word. You take it captive according to Christ, so it doesn't take you captive. Notice verse 8, the beginning of that verse. It says, in all of this, see to it. See to this. Here's what Paul is doing is, is Paul is giving us a warning, a caution. He, he's saying these type of things are going to come. See to it that this doesn't happen. Be intentional about that. See to this, that the reality is hits will come, adversity will come. But if you know they're coming, if you're seeing to it, you can continue to walk. Right? I think of when I played middle school football. And we used to do these drills where you're the running back, you got the ball, and you just run out like a dummy. And the other guy just runs at an angle and he drills you, right? Fun drills. And in eighth grade, I was about 5'9, 150. So basically what I am now, a little bit more frail, right? And there was another guy named Paul Murphy who was six foot, 220. You know those guys in eighth grade? There's always that guy, right? Paul was the nicest guy ever. We were actually friends. But he was huge. And on the football field, he was no longer Paul, my friend. He was Paul the monster, right? And so I remember to this day vividly being on that grass as the little running back, 5'9", 150, and running out and knowing <laughs> Paul Murphy, six, six foot two twenty, is coming at an angle after me. And there's, this is the, what you're supposed to do, This is the design of the play. It's for me to get pounced on, right? I guess maybe maturity through adversity. I I don't know what they were thinking. And I remember going out there real, just kind of scared and just already kind of drifting and Paul Murphy drilling me into the ground. Like I can still picture his eyes looking at me, you know, through the helmet, looking at me and just thinking, oh my gosh, like this is the elemental spirits of the world that are coming after me right now. I couldn't breathe. I had that, you know, that, like, huge uh, sod, like, grass that gets stuck in your helmet. I'm walking back. I can't breathe, and I got that huge, like, thing of grass in my helmet, and everybody's like, are you, are you going to be okay? And I get to the end of the line, and I'm just like, give me, give me a moment. Everybody, back up, right? And I started thinking about what other sports can I play, Right? <laughs> Uh, I love football. Those of you who know this, know, that was when the dream was crushed, right, for me. I was just like, ain't happening for me. Um, but what did I do? I got back in line, and they make you do it again, right? Uh, but this time, I know the hit's coming, right? I, I know what's going to happen. So I got this forearm pad, and I got the five nine one fifty, like every ounce of it, and I just said, this time it's going to be different. And, and guess what? I ran out, but I didn't drift, Like I ran out, I saw him coming, and as he began to come at me, I began to come at him, and I threw the forearm, and and I still got hit. And I still went to the ground, but I got up, brushed that thing off, and I kept going. Right? You you see, the hits that you don't see coming, those are the ones that knock you out. Those are the ones that devastate you. And so Paul God and his grace through Paul is being very gracious to us, and he's saying, hey, hey, see to it. The hits are coming. You you see to this. You prepare. You firm up. You get your foundation settled, not according to human tradition, not according to these other elemental spirits, but according to Christ. So that when you get hit and and you will, you keep going. You, You stand back up, and you continue to walk. You mature in Christ. All of us have had this. Right Right now as a church, we kind of have this a little bit. But but all of us have had these experiences. Some of you are going through these experiences. In your marriage, the hits are coming and you're not ready. In your finances, the hits have come and you weren't ready. In In your doubt, the hits have come and you haven't been ready and you haven't been rooted. And so Paul in his grace is saying, hey, hey, see to this. You have the opportunity this morning. God's given you this passage. In whatever situation that is, see to this. Firm up your stance. Dig in so that you can maybe go down, but you get back and you keep going. The next thing we see as we mature in adversity is that we should be filled in him, filled in Jesus. We see that in verse 9. Look at that with me. It says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul here repeats what he says in chapter 1, that the the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus. That Jesus is the eternal God-man. He's fully God, he's fully man. Paul repeats this because it's significant. Paul repeats this because not only is Jesus fully God, but this is how we are full in him. You see, Jesus made a lot of claims. Jesus healed a lot of people. Jesus did a lot of things. But if he was just a man, it's all just good things. But if he was the eternal God-man, if he was the source, as Colossians says, that by him, through him, for him, all things were created, if God is the source... He's the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of God. Then when we receive Jesus, we can be full in him because he's the source. So all the the desires you have for, for fullness to be fulfilled through your job, through relationships, through whatever, all those desires, Jesus created those desires in you, the proper desire. And he also created the way for you to experience fulfillment in that. He created it. He knows how that hole needs to be filled, and it comes with being filled in him. Jesus is fully God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are fully in him, so therefore your life can be full. He designed it. He can fill it if we trust him. The one who forms us knows best how to fill us. Then nothing else will. That's why all those other things that we do chase after, we always leave filling empty. That's why it lasts for a little while, that success, that pleasure. It lasts for a little while, but we always say, ah, something's kind of missing, right? It's because we're meant to be full in Jesus just as he is full in God. I think about Kanye West, great theologian of our day, rapper. If you don't know who Kanye West is, I can't help you, right? Uh, he's a rapper, artist, and he gives a lot of inspirational tweets on Twitter, If you've seen him, a lot of inspirational quotes. I think he just feels like he's just helping the world, right? He's a gift to the world. Um, And I saw somebody say, a Christian guy come along and say, and say, you know what, if you take everything Kanye West says and you just add on to it in Christ, then it works. And so I decided to test that. I looked at his feed, just a couple quotes for you. He said, all you have to be is yourself. That's just... Thank you Kanye. <laughs> it's just the warm fuzzies, man. All you have to be is yourself. You'll be full. That's not true, right? All you have to be is yourself. Yourself. All your thoughts, all your words, all your deeds. You just be that and then you'll be full? Uh-uh. I don't think so, Kanye. But but listen to this. All you have to be is yourself in Christ. That works, doesn't it? He said this, get past the past. Mm. Love that. Love that, Kanye. Get past the past, man. Just do it. Just get past it. But get past the past, what? In Christ. Who can actually help you move on from your past? Who can forgive you of your past? Who can, we're going to see in a minute, cancel all of your past? Erase it. This is where we find fulfillment. It's not in some cute, trite sayings. It's not in what we can offer or come up with. It's not in some self-help books. It's not in what your professor says. It's not what your boss says. It's in Christ. That's why 15 times in 95 verses we see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That everything is available to us in Christ. That nothing is available to us outside of Christ. This is where maturity happens, especially through adversity. The last thing we're going to see is that we are alive in Christ. Look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says this, In him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Don't you just love that? He put the rulers and authorities, the spiritual realm, Satan, his servants, works and effects, he put them to open shame through the cross and the resurrection. He triumphed over them in him, in Christ. Now, now Paul starts off with what seems like a totally random thought about circumcision, right? Right? We talk about circumcision in one place, typically, in the hospital, right, when you have a boy. We don't usually talk about it in any other realm of society. I don't know why you would, right? But in this day, in this culture, it was different, that this goes back to the Old Testament. You can look these up on your own. You can write these down. Deuteronomy 10, 16, Deuteronomy 36 talks about circumcision, the purpose of circumcision, that it was a mark for God's people to set them apart, but also to be a shadow of a substance that would come, that ultimately it wasn't about a, a skin being cut to mark God's people, it was about our hearts being cut, our sin being severed, and that the shadow was circumcision, that was very normative for them to talk about, that's why Paul brings it up here, but the substance was a heart changed by Jesus, and so Paul begins to dig into that a little bit more this idea that we go from death to life that we're buried with Jesus that we're raised with Jesus. He says it again verse 13, you were dead but God made you alive with Jesus. 2 Timothy 1:10 says this in a really great way, really profound way, Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life. That the beauty of Christianity, the power of Christianity is not that we're kind of okay people who are trying to figure things out. It's not that we're, we're all basically good and we're trying to, to help ourselves get better. Like the power of Christianity is that we're dead and God raises us to life. That's why we do baptisms, is to publicly show that, to go in the water and say, we are, we are dead in Christ. Our sin is dead. It's forgiven. It's canceled. And then we come up out of the water and we're made alive. If you're not a Christian, that's what God invites you into today. Not just to learn some better things about your life to do. But to say honestly before God, I am dead and I need to be brought to life. That's why Paul repeats it in two separate ways. Buried with him, raised with him. Dead, made alive. Forgiven. Trespasses, gone. Debt, canceled. And I think for a lot of us, as we just heard that, many of us can be like, okay, Tim, I got that, dead to life, I know I have new life in Jesus, I'm a new creation, right? I think the one we struggle with is that whole record of debt thing. I think that's the hardest one for us to get, that, that your record of debt has been canceled, literally in that passage, erased. Because debt follows us around, financial debt does this, Right? Scripture says in Proverbs, the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt follows you around. You try to buy a house, they're going to look at your credit. you got debt. you got too much debt. You can't buy a house. You need to have auto insurance. They're going to raise that rate. Your debt follows you around. It's the same way spiritually. But it's not just on a bill once a month. Your debt spiritually, it follows you everywhere. It hangs over your head. Some of you are there this morning. Right? Your, your debt is your, your sin debt before a holy God. And your thoughts and your actions and your words, even this morning, there's a record of debt. And it follows us around. And it creates a separation in our relationships. It, creation, it creates a separation in our relationship with God. Right? How, how many times do you, do you not pray to God because you feel guilt and shame because of your past? How many times do you not talk to your spouse or that friend or get vulnerable because you're thinking about things in your past, because you're thinking about your record of debt, and you're thinking, man, if I could just get that debt paid off, then then this relationship would be so much better, right? Then I could be honest, authentic, vulnerable. And if I could just get that debt paid off, if I could just go to church a little bit more, read my Bible a little bit more, mature a little bit more, erase that debt, and then, like, I would worship God. I'd raise my hands, right? How many of us are held back by this hovering debt that's over our lives? I think this is the hardest one for us to get. So that's why Paul uses this intentional language of canceled, nailed to the cross. Notice he didn't say he lowered our debt. He doesn't consolidate our debt. He cancels it. He nailed it to the cross. Not that he will nail it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And so if you can picture that, John Piper, uh, author and pastor, said this, and I thought it just gave some really good imagery to this thing, that he nailed our debt to the cross. So just imagine a big sheet of paper, for some of us bigger than others, that has all your debt, all your sin, all the things you've ever thought about, all the things that you ever did all the things you didn't do that you were supposed to do in obedience to Christ. And just imagine a giant sheet of paper where all that paper is filled up, every ounce of it with our record of debt, which, by the way, when Jesus went to the cross, it was all future debt. And just imagine that paper for you, right where you sit. And just imagine, as that nail that goes into the cross is fitted between the wood of that cross and the nail. And before the nail goes into the cross, it goes through your debt. Jesus nailed your record of debt to the cross. That's why he can cancel it. Before you were even born, all the sin you ever thought about, all the sin you will ever commit, Jesus put it on the cross and he nailed it in his perfection for you that his blood spilled out all over that. It was able, it was fully sufficient because remember, he is God in the flesh. He is perfect without sin. And on your behalf, he he nails your debt to the cross. So it can be canceled. Listen, you need to get this. If you're gonna mature in Christ through adversity, amidst adversity, you need to know that that debt that is weighing you down, it has been freed up fully in Christ, finally in Christ, and I think that's the hardest thing for us to get. Why? Because we talk to one another about our debt. We talk to one another. We, we don't talk to one another about our debt because it's weighing us down. And Paul is saying, it's been cleansed. It's been freed. It's been erased. Not through what you've done, through the, the death of Jesus Christ, the nailing of your debt to the cross. That's where you're at today. If you're a Christian, Whatever adversity is coming at you, your record of debt doesn't need to be one of those things. Do you see that? You are free in Christ. Now, do you need to obey him? Do you need to confess sin? For sure. But is God holding that over your head? No. When God looks at you, because you placed your faith in him, because he is fully God and you are fully in him, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your record of debt. He sees the perfect record of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's what you walk in. That's what helps you mature in adversity. We are to walk in Jesus, be rooted in Jesus, be filled in Jesus, be alive in Jesus because of what he has accomplished on our behalf. And so simple question as we close today is what adversity are you facing? We're facing some adversity as a church, right? But as I've talked to some of you, you said, hey, man, this has been so helpful for me as we go through this as a church because in my life, some unexpected things have come up in my relationships, in my finances, where I live. And this is helping me not only figure out our next location as a church and trust God for that, but this is helping me trust God in my life. God brought this passage to us because he knows we need it. He knows we need to mature amidst adversity in our lives and in our church. So what adversity is that for you? How are you in the midst of that diversity? adversity rather, being deceived? How are you being deceived by it? Where you think it's right, you think it's helpful, but you're being deceived, if you're honest. How are you preparing for those hits? How are you delighting in the law of the Lord? How are you doing what he says? Psalm 1, Matthew 7. So that you can stand firm. So you can hold fast. And not get taken out by adversity but press forward and mature. I believe that's what God's going to do in our church. I believe that's what God's going to do in your life as we submit ourselves to him. And it's not because we're amazing, it's because God is amazing. It's not because we have the strategies, it's because God has the power. And so what adversity are you facing and how are you preparing for it? How are you leaning in to your faith? Not just learning about it, not just looking at it, but living it out in this moment. That's what God has before you. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truth this morning that we are rooted in Christ, that we can walk in Christ, that we can be filled in Christ, and that we can be made alive in Christ. God, I I know there's lots of things in that passage and lots of things we could just think are not true for us, they're true for everybody else in this room, but I would pray in this moment that you would help those things to be true for us. We would look at our record of debt. We would look at our adversity. We would look at the deceitful things in our lives that we bought into and we would lay all that before you. We would not be held captive by it. It would be taken captive by you. We would submit it to you and we would begin to walk in you in Christ, in Christ, God. You have made that available to, to us this morning. Help us to walk in that. Help us to be rooted in that. I'm excited to see uh, what would happen in the lives of the men and women in this room if we, if we lived this out. We didn't just talk about it, but if we lived this, how our lives would be changed, how our church would be changed, how our city would be changed that's what you invite us into this morning. So help us respond accordingly. Help us not think about what other people need to do. Help us think about what we need to do, how we need to respond. I pray against Satan, his elemental spirits, his servants, his works in effect that even now are attacking us, attacking men and women in this room, attacking their thoughts. And deception of, oh, I, just, I just need to move on. I just go to lunch. Can we, just, can we just move forward? Can I just go watch a game? Can we just move forward? No, no, no. Got to pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ that we would take this moment, that we would not miss this moment to respond to you, to give our lives to you, to delight in you, and to do what you say in Christ. Help us. In the name of Jesus, by the Spirit of God, help us. Amen.